Good evening. I hope everyone is doing well. We are in the second part of our series, Christianity and World Religions. Uh, last week, we laid down some guiding principles uh, that we need to keep in mind as we look at and explore these various faiths over the next several weeks. So if you missed that episode, I really encourage you uh, to go back and either watch or listen to that because it's really going to help you uh, take what we learn over the next several weeks and to use it successfully in uh, your day-to-day -day interactions with people who uh, may have different uh, religious faiths and um, beliefs than you do. Now, tonight, we're going to examine uh, the Islamic religion. Now, this is one of the three major religions in the world today, and it's received uh, quite a, a good deal of attention over the past several deca decades. Now, this is largely due uh, to the terrorist acts uh, that some within the Muslim community have perpetrated. Now, because of the ongoing acts of terrorism, especially after uh, things like 9-11, there are many who view uh, those in the Muslim faith um, as um, violent murderers and terrorists. Um, but we need to ask ourselves, is that really the case? And so that's going to be kind of the thing that we're going to explore tonight. And we're going, going to examine uh, that religion from its founding, and then we're going to consider some of its more prominent teachings, including uh, its teaching on jihad or what is called holy war. So let's go ahead and just jump right in because we have quite a bit to cover. Now, in order to understand Islam, we first have to understand its chief prominent. Uh, prophet uh, Muhammad. Now, uh, we also need to understand the culture that he lived in because um, the Islamic faith isn't just a faith, it's also a culture. It's just a worldview that permeates everything uh, uh, in the life of those who follow it. In fact, Dr. Robert uh, Mori, uh, who has done extensive studies on uh, Islam, states, and I quote, what Muhammad did was raise seventh century culture in which he was born to the status of divine law. In fact, Islam is the deification of 7th century, 7th century Arabian culture, end quote. And uh, we also see uh, that Dr. Arthur uh, Arbery, uh, who is um, one of the head of the Middle Eastern Studies in Cambridge University, has said this, Islam is particularly uh, uh, Arabian religion because Islam is a religion and culture. Uh, and as religion and culture, they are one. It must be understood in terms of its essential identification with 7th century culture, end quote. Uh, so there, what we see is that these two scholars are essentially saying that the Islamic faith uh, was founded in 7th century Arabian culture, and it has made that culture an essential element of the faith. So if you've ever wondered why in the Middle East and other places where uh, Islam uh, seems to be stuck in a culture from the past is because that culture is literally a part of their religion. Islam is a religion and it's a culture. Now this shapes its politics, its family structure, its dietary laws, its clothing, and so on. That's why many Muslim countries, there are still incredibly harsh treatment of women. There are just, uh, there are strict uh, codes as to what you can do, what you can wear, what you can um, what forms of entertainment you can have. All these type of things are shaped based on the 7th century Arabian culture 
that the religion uh, elevates and uh, codifies in its religion. So let's take some time to familiarize ourselves with the history of Islam. Now, Muhammad, who is its chief prophet, was born in 570 AD in uh, the, the town of Mecca. Now, Mecca is in the southwest part of the Arabian Peninsula. Mecca was the center of trade and religious activities, and Muhammad uh, lived most of his life in that area. Uh, during his early uh, life, up to the age of about 25, he was a camel driver, which was a common occupation in that time. But then he, he met and married an older woman. Uh, I believe she was um, a, uh, a widower, and she was um, almost twice his age at the time uh, that they married, and she was incredibly wealthy. Uh, now, she, uh, when they married, he ran the family business, which I believe was a fruit business at the time, uh, and he, he did that for about 15 years until uh, he began to have what he claimed to be were divine revelations. Now, these, re uh, these visions and revelations that he had were often accompanied by epileptic fits that he would have. He would thrash about on the floor, he would seize on the ground and begin foaming from the mouth. And this really terrified him and those that uh, witnessed this for quite a while. Uh, and when he uh, first began having these visions, Muhammad actually was afraid that he was being attacked by what uh, in Middle Eastern culture was called a jinn. Uh, now, these jinns were basically the Middle Eastern equivalent of evil spirits or demons. In fact, in one of the uh, Islamic holy books, uh, the Hadith, uh, chapter 1, section 1, verse 3, it reveals that Muhammad had, uh, had to be convinced by his wife that he was not being tormented by an evil spirit. In fact, that passage says this, Then Allah's apostle returned with inspiration. This is after one of his epileptic seizures. Uh, and it says, and with his heart beating severely, then he went to Kadaji uh, bent Kolobahil uh, and said, cover me, cover me. Uh, and they covered him till his fear was over. And after that, he told her everything that had happened and said, I fear that something may happen to me. And Kadaji uh, replied, never may Allah uh, by Allah, Allah will never disgrace you. You keep good relations with your kith and kin, help the poor and destitute, you serve guests generously and assist the deserving uh, calamity, uh, you assist the deserving calamity afflicted ones. Now, basically what that meant is that uh, here we see that Muhammad was having seizures, he was having epileptic fits. He thought that a uh, evil spirit was afflicting him. In fact, there's more descriptions there in the Quran of how this uh, uh, spiritual being that he would see in these moments would uh, hold him down and thrash him about, telling him to read certain texts. And then he would come to uh, from these uh, fits, these visions that he would see, and then he would relate what he saw. But he was afraid that he was going to be killed by this spiritual being that kept visiting him. Uh, and it says, uh, basically, um, these visions were written down over time and compiled into uh, the uh, Islamic holy book that is called the Quran, which is the equivalent of our Bible. Now, the word Quran means recitation uh, because its believers are required to memorize or recite large segments 
of this book that again was just the writing down of these visions and um, uh, revelations that uh, Muhammad would have during these epileptic seizures. Now, um, while there are many teachings in the Quran, and, and we'll touch on some of those uh, in just a bit, the overall theme of that book is that there is no God but Allah, and that, uh, the man, uh, that humanity's sole task in this life is to submit and obey Allah in everything. In fact, that's what the word Islam means. It's Arabic for submission or, or um, obedience. Now, when Muhammad began preaching these revelations, he would have these seizures, they ended up getting written down, and then he would go and take these revelations and preach them to the people of Mecca. Uh, uh, right off the bat, the people of Mecca rejected him and rejected these teachings. After all, the dominant worldview in that area was very animalistic. Uh, and what that means is that they basically worshipped uh, anything that they saw out in nature. They would worship rocks, stars, uh, especially the moon, particularly in its crescent phase. That's why you see in a lot of Islamic cultures, uh, this was included in the Islamic faith. It featured prominently because it was a part of Muhammad's background. You'll see the crescent moon. That was a dominant part of the religion there in Mecca. And because uh, Muhammad was, uh, because his teaching was that there was only one God, uh, and the people there in Mecca worshipped just about anything. They they worshipped all kinds of gods. Um, they chased him out of town, and he fled to the town of Medina. Uh, now, this is where most Muslims believe Islam officially began. In fact, this marks the beginning of the Islamic calendar. Now, it was in Medina that Muhammad tried to convince the Jews and Christians there to follow him, as prophet. He referred to himself for the Jews as prophet. He referred to himself to the Christians as an apostle. Uh, and this was um, ultimately unsuccessful. The Christians and the Jews, they didn't want to uh, follow Muhammad. They didn't believe in his teachings. They believed they were false teachings. And when he saw that they had rejected him, he in turn rejected them. He received new revelations that he was to reject the Jews and the Christians and begin raiding and looting caravans in the area. In fact, he raised an army of about 10,000 men initially and returned back to Mecca where he then, uh, where he was first rejected and he ended up conquering it. And seeing the effectiveness of these military campaigns that he began uh, waging, he continued to spread Islam throughout the world uh, in what was called Jihad or Holy War throughout the Middle East. And in his 62 years of life here on this earth, he waged approximately 66 different military campaigns and killed tens of thousands of people in his pursuit to spread Islam throughout that region of the world. Now, that's kind of the history of Islam. Again, we could go uh, further. We could go into the Crusades as they spread Islam into Judaism. I'm sorry, into, into Jerusalem. And then as it's continued up into this present day uh, with uh, various forms of uh, jihad and, and uh, Sharia law uh, being um, uh, forced upon certain peoples and groups. But we're going to pause there for a moment, and now we're going to turn our attention to the Islamic beliefs and practices. What does Islam uh, actually teach? Now, uh, there are about uh, six different um, things that are the core uh, faiths, uh, faith doctrines of Islam. The first one is God. Uh, and in, in Islam, uh, one of the core beliefs is that there's one God whose name is Allah 
There is no Trinity. There's no triune God. Jesus was not the Son of God. He was just a prophet. Uh, there is no uh, Holy Spirit other than Allah himself. And that is kind of their idea of who God is. And we'll get a little bit more into that in just a little bit when we begin comparing Christianity, Christianity's uh, understanding of God versus Islam's understanding of God. But uh, that's one of the core tenets of the, the Islamic faith. Now, the other, uh, another um, core belief is in the belief of angels. Uh, Gabriel, uh, they believe, is the greatest of the angels um, because he visited Muhammad. He's one of uh, the chief angels in their religion. And every person has two angels assigned to him or her. One records all the good deeds and another one records all the bad deeds. Now, that's going to feature prominently uh, and, and what we're going to talk about later when we compare Islam and Christianity and how they view salvation and eternity. But just uh, keep that in mind. Angels are a very big prominent uh, factor in the Islamic religion. Also, they have uh, a core belief of prophets. They believe uh, uh, that there have been many prophets, including Noah, Abraham, Moses, and even Jesus. But all these prophets uh, their teachings have been distorted and polluted over time. And so uh, Muhammad, who is considered the greatest of the prophets, came to restore the true teaching that Allah wants mankind to hear. And they also believe in holy books. The most holy of the books of Islam is the Quran, uh, and it supersedes all previous revelations. So again, it may shock some to understand that uh, in, in Islam, they do believe in the um, the Old Testament. They believe, again, Moses was a prophet. They believe in some of the teachings of the Old Testament. They even believe in some of the teachings of the New Testament within Christianity. But they believe that the Quran supersedes all of that uh, teaching, that the uh, Quran uh, clarifies what has been distorted and polluted over time in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so they recognize the law of Moses. They recognize Psalms, even the Gospels. Uh, but they believe that those have been corrupted and that the Quran correctly teaches what Allah wanted to be taught all along. They also believe in the day of judgment. They believe that there will be a, a terrible day in the days ahead in which each person's uh, works and deeds, good and bad, will be balanced to determine what their, their eternal faith is. Again, those two angels who are, who are recording every good thing and bad thing you ever do will one day weigh those things on scales uh, to determine where you go. And then there's also the decree of God. And in Islam, they teach that uh, Allah is fatalistic, which means that Allah has already determined everything that's going to happen, good and bad, and it's impossible for anyone to change what Allah has already decided will happen. So basically, it does away with human free will. Devout Muslims often use a phrase, uh, if Allah wills. And this communicates the idea that it's inevitable once Allah has decreed something for that to be changed or altered in any way. Um, everything that happens uh, is determined by Allah beforehand, kind of uh, the Christian version of Calvinism, uh, that God has determined everything beforehand. Now, in addition to these six core beliefs of Islam, there's also the five pillars of Islam. These are five practices, five things that uh, devout Muslims do in order to do good deeds and in order to get into heaven uh, one day. Now, um, the first of these five pillars of Islam is affirmations. Uh, this is uh, a phrase that is regularly uh, cited by devout Muslims, which is, there is no uh, God but Allah, 
and Muhammad is his messenger. And they cite this numerous times, often multiple times throughout the day. Uh, it is uh, seen to be, um, by devout Muslims, to be hopefully the last thing that you ever say just before you die. Then there's also the second pillar of Islam, which is prayer. Practicing Muslims do, uh, are expected, and in some, cases, in some places actually required, to pray five times a day facing Mecca. Uh, in many Islamic countries, uh, there are prayers and chants that are sounded throughout entire cities to remind people to stop, to face Mecca, and to pray. And then the next uh, of the five pillars of Islam is almsgiving or charity. And serious uh, Muslims are expected to give 2.5% of their in income to the poor. And then uh, another pillar is fasting. Faithful Muslims fast from dawn to dusk every day during Ramadan, which is the ninth month of the Islamic calendar and one of the holiest times of their Islamic calendar. Uh, then there's, uh, last but not least, uh, pilgrimage. All Muslims are expected to journey to Mecca at least once in their lifetime. And you can see videos and pictures of Muslims as they circle a giant uh, black box, which is supposed to contain a black meteorite they believe uh, to be holy. Uh, again, that kind of stems back to uh, the earlier days of um, Islam, back when uh, in Mecca they were worshiping rocks and birds and all kinds of stuff, uh, and th there was this meteorite that they um, held in high esteem there, and so Islam kind of carries that over into their uh, religion today. Now, some people also want to add a sixth pillar uh, to Islam, which is holy war or jihad. Now, from the earliest days of Islam, Muslims have waged a physical holy war against those who resisted the Islamic faith. Most notable ex examples of this in recent history, again, was the terrorist attack on 9-11. Uh, it should be noted that not all Muslims believe in a literal, physical holy war against other people. Instead, they believe uh, that this refers to a figurative or spiritual war uh, with sin and temptation. So it should be recognized that not all Muslims are terrorists or violent people. However, I would uh, consider such Muslims to be liberal since they don't take a literal traditional view of jihad. Now, let me just quote you a few passages of the Quran to illustrate uh, what the Quran literally teaches as opposed to what uh, some more liberal modern uh, Muslims believe. Now, in uh, the Quran, chapter 4, verse uh, 89, it says this, Seize them and slay them wherever you find them. And in any case, take no friends or helpers from their ranks. In uh, chapter 4, verses 101, it says, For the unbelievers are open enemies to you. In chapter 8, verses 13 through 17, it says, I will instill terror into the hearts of unbelievers. Smite ye above their necks and smite all of their fingertips of them. It is not uh, you who slay them, but it is Allah. And then in uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 29, it says, Fight those who do not believe in Allah uh, not, and not the last day. Uh, and then in uh, chapter 9, verse 57, it says, Muhammad said, Whoever changes his Islamic religion, kill him. Now, these are just samplings of passages in the Quran that, if taken at face value, teach physical violence against unbelievers. Now, we need to admit, again, that there are uh, Christians 
who are more liberal and do not uh, always interpret the Bible literally. There are Christians who do not believe in a literal seven days of creation. Some who do not believe uh, in, in the clear teaching of passages that condemn homosexuality. There are some who don't believe in the literal second coming of Christ. Now, I know that there are some of you who would probably hear that and think, well, we're not even sure that Christians who would take that view are, in fact, Christians. But let's set that aside for just a moment and assume that they are, in fact, Christians. They're just liberal Christians who hold to a liberal, liberal interpretation of Scripture. In the same way, there are, I believe, liberal Muslims who hold to a liberal view uh, of the Quran. Now, uh, if I haven't said it already, already, let me just state very clearly, not all Muslims are violent terrorists. There are many, and I would say the vast majority in the United States, who are what I would call liberal Muslims who believe that jihad is not uh, a physical war, but a spiritual war within the individual. Those Muslims uh, that you see flying planes into buildings and beheading people or performing honor killings on their own family members, uh, they're what I would call fundamental Muslims. They hold to a very literal interpretation of uh, the Quran. And honestly, uh, that interpretation mirrors in, in much of what we've seen uh, in the history of the Islamic faith. So there are basically these two uh, sides of Islam. There's a very traditional literal sense in which they read the, the plain teaching of the Quran as fighting a physical war, and more liberal uh, Muslims who hold to a more of a symbolic, spiritual, figurative uh, uh, teaching of holy war. Now, I make this distinction because I believe it's important uh, when you have an opportunity to have conversations or have relationships with someone of the Islamic faith, that they are most likely probably going to be uh, liberal Muslims and while you'll have the opportunity and maybe even a, a desire and a, a conviction that you should draw their attention to some of these facts that we've discussed so far in, uh, in this teaching of the Islamic faith, um, you want to make sure that you honor them as an individual and their particular view of Islam. Otherwise, you're probably going to destroy your opportunity uh, to share with them the gospel. They may not believe that uh, jihad or holy war is a literal holy war. And so that's fine. Take them at, at, at that. And as we're going to discuss in just a little bit, there are many other aspects of Islam you can talk about with them and share the gospel with them. You don't have to uh, beat them over the head with, with um, the Islamic history and the literal teaching of the Quran about how it's a physical holy war. You don't have to go that route. You can go another route with them and share the gospel with them in a way that may be more conducive to winning them towards Christ, and that should be the goal of any of our interactions with people of the Muslim faith. Now, speaking of the gospel and uh, our desire to share the gospel with uh, all people, including those of the Muslim faith, uh, let us just take some time to compare both of those things. Now, we need to remember uh, that uh, the Christian faith and the Islamic faith does share some similarities but there are a lot of differences as well. In fact, if you dig below the surface of some of those seeming, uh, seemingly uh, similar issues, you'll see that they're not similar at all, that there's a great deal of depth and difference between uh, these two religions. Now, while there are a lot of differences in all the religions that we're going to talk about, I want to, for the sake of uh, simplicity and for the sake of uh, giving you some practical tools that you can use to uh, talk to people of other faiths, we're going to focus on three main questions uh, that all religions at their heart seek to answer. And those questions are, 
who is God, what's wrong with the world, and what's the solution. All religions at their heart seek to answer at least those three questions. Who is God? What's wrong with the world? And what are the solutions? And so we're going to look at how Christianity and Islam differ in how they answer uh, those three questions. Now, as far as uh, who is God, uh, both Islam and Christianity believe that there is only one true God over all the universe who created all the universe. But Christian, but in Christianity, while it affirms that there is only one God, it also affirms that that one God exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, commonly known as the Trinity. Now, this is what Jesus taught in Matthew 28, verse 19, uh, when he said that we, you need to go forth and you need to buy, baptize everyone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus clearly taught a triune God, one God in three persons. Now, Islam, on the other hand, completely dismisses this idea of the Trinity as being blasphemous. It says in chapter 5, verse 73 of the Quran, it says, They do blaspheme who say that God is one of three. There, uh, for there is no Allah except one Allah. Another big difference between how Christianity and Islam answers this question of who God is, uh, is in the character of God. Uh, Christianity reveals that God loves everyone in the world and doesn't want anyone to go to hell. John uh, 3.16 famously uh, states that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son. First Timothy uh, 2 verses 3 through 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now this is the exact opposite of what Islam teaches. Uh, it teaches that Allah wants some to be saved and others to go to hell. In uh, chapter 32 verse 13 it says, For we so will, we could have brought every soul into true guidance. But the word from me will come true. I will fill hell with demons and men altogether. So here we see Muhammad has heard from Allah that they could have, if they so willed it, to reach every person with uh, the, uh, the salvation message of Islam. If they wanted to, they could have reached everyone, but they didn't so that hell could be filled with both people and with demons. It's not Allah's will for everyone to be saved. Now let's also turn our attention uh, to how Christianity and Islam answers the question, what's wrong with the world? Uh, for Christianity uh, and Islam, uh, people have, uh, they've inherited their sinful nature uh, from their connection to Adam and Eve. So that's kind of their similarity. But if you dig down deep, we also see that Islam differs from Christianity in the fact that it teaches that Allah inspires and leads people to sin. Again, remember, Islam is very uh, fatalistic. That means that everything that happens, happens because uh, Allah has caused it. So Muslims believe that humans are sinners because Allah wills them to be sinners. Again, he wants to fill hell with both men and demons. And we actually see this in passages from the Quran, like chapter 4, verse uh, 88. It says, what is the matter with you? That uh, you are two groups concerning hypocrites while Allah makes them fall back into their error and disbelief for uh, what they have earned. Do you wish to guide those whom Allah has sent astray? Uh, and he whom Allah sends astray, never will you find him 
a way of guidance. So basically it just says there that Allah has led them astray. Allah has led them into disbelief and there's no hope for them. And then chapter uh, 16, verse 3, it says, And if Allah had willed, he could have made you one religion. He could have made everyone one religion. It says, But he has caused to stray those whom he wills and guides whom he wills. And he will, uh, he will, I'm sorry, and you will surely be questioned about what you used to do. So again, he has led someone to salvation. He's led others away from salvation. These show that according to Islamic teaching, if someone believes and does good works, it's because Allah has decreed it. But if someone does not believe and does sinful things, it's again because Allah has decreed it. To which the natural question should be, how can Allah hold people guilty for something he has decreed for them to do uh, and they could not choose to do otherwise? Now, we're going to address that in just a little bit, but that should be kind of the natural question that flows to our mind. Now, before we go and answer that question, I want, to, I want us to note that Christianity teaches what's wrong in the world is sin. Uh, this did not originate with God, but it's an abuse of free will. It first started with Lucifer and then went on to Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity. While God can bring good things out of our sinful actions and choices, he never causes anyone to sin. In fact, we read in John, I'm sorry, James 1, verses 13 through 15, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Um, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings death. Now, we come to this last question uh, for us to compare uh, Christianity and Islam, and that is, what is the solution? So we already see all the differences between how we define who God is. We've already seen uh, how there's differences between Christianity and Islam with uh, what's wrong with the world, but what's the solution? Now, there are several significant differences between Islam and Christianity as they answer this particular question. First, Islam teaches that the solution to humanity's problem is more obedience. The way you fix uh, the disobedience in the world is more obedience, according to Islam. Uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 157 says, uh, And establish prayer at uh, two ends of the day uh, and at the approach of the night. Indeed, good deeds do away with misdeeds. That is a reminder to those who remember. Chapter uh, 7, verses 6 through 9 says, then we will surely question those with a message uh, with a message was sent, and we will surely question the messengers. Then we will surely relate their deeds to them with knowledge, and we uh, were not at all absent. And the weighing of deeds that day will be the truth. So those whose scales are heavy, it is they who will be successful. And those whose scales are light, they will be the ones who lose themselves for the injustice they have done toward our verses. So we see here that uh, in Islam, the solution to man's problems, uh, the problem of sin is more obedience, to pray more, to give more, to fast more, and so on. And hopefully, by the time that you have to stand before Allah, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. Now, this, of course, is in stark contrast to Christianity's answer to this problem. It teaches that there's no way that you can ever do enough uh, to... Uh, not enough good deeds to enter into heaven. Therefore, uh, God has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christianity says it's not what you do that gets you into heaven. 
but it's what God has already done for you. Now, another important difference to note in Islam is that even if you do a lifetime of Islamic good deeds, you still it still won't be enough uh, to be assured that you will go to heaven. Muhammad himself, who was their greatest prophet and was really the pinnacle of uh, the Islamic faith, wasn't even sure that he would be able to go into heaven. In fact, he wrote in uh, the Quran, uh, chapter 46, verse 9, he says, I am not something original among the messengers, nor do I know what will be done with me or with you. I only follow that which was revealed to me, and I'm, uh, and I'm not uh, but a clear warner. Here, Muhammad basically says uh, that he is unsure about his own eternal salvation. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know what's going to happen to anyone. It all depends on what Allah decrees. So if he couldn't be sure, then no Muslim can really be sure of their eternal destiny, where they're going to spend uh, all of eternity. Now, in contrast, Christianity teaches that because salvation is not based on what I do, but on what God has already done, then uh, we can know and have assurance of our eternal destiny. There, may, uh, there are many verses we could cite here, but we're just going to leave it with John 5, verse 24, which says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, passes from death to life. Now the, uh, there are but uh, just a, these are just about a few uh, differences between Christianity and Islam. Uh, we're gonna leave it there uh, for tonight. I hope that I've given you plenty uh, to think about uh, over the next few days. Uh, I would like to say just one quick word though regarding uh, Muslims and really all the faiths that we're gonna be talking about in the upcoming weeks, and that is that we need to remember that God uh, loves every person, even those of other faiths. Uh, that Muslims are not our enemies. Uh, they are being deceived by the enemy. And so we need to pray for them. And if given the opportunity, we need to love them the way Christ loves us. Now, next week, we're going to be looking at Mormonism. It's also known as the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Uh, so I hope that you'll join us next week as we continue to dive deep into these various religions. And I hope that God will bless you uh, with our time together. With that said, take care and God bless.